The 18th of March 2012 is special for Kilmarnock fans. On that day, Killy won the Scottish League Cup for, as yet, the only time. To celebrate the 10th anniversary of the success, Hall of Fame member Gary Hay looks back at that special day. Just one of many highlights in the distinguished career spent with Scotland's most successful provincial club. I'm Gordon Gillen, and episode 24 of Killy Histories stars Gary Hay. Gary Hay's home debut in 1999 was a spectacular one, scoring both goals in a 2-0 win against Aberdeen. But this overnight success was years in the making. Was the fact you were 21, nearly 22, perhaps a help for dealing with it, compared to if you were perhaps a bit younger? I suppose I was obviously slightly maturer as a 21-year-old than I was as a 17 or 18-year-old. But on the flip side of that, sometimes you maybe could overthink it um, and worry, you know, take you the other end and worry so much about who you're playing, who you're playing against and those those types of things. Um, but, yeah, I think overall it probably did help me. I was obviously, it was really old in, in modern day football to be making a debut at 21, to be fair, for, for the first team particular up in Scotland. Played a lot of games with the guys I was playing on the team with, trained with them for years you know the likes of I think that day I think I had Ali Mitchell um, sort of inside me or just just in front of me so but I trained with, with Billy for years but as well as you know Kev McGowan Gus McPherson Gordon Marshall all these guys had been in training with him for a good couple of years I'd played many reserve games with quite a number of them as well so making that step up probably was slightly easier than that in that side of things. You seem, Gary, to me like quite a calm type of character, if that's the right word to use. How much of a difference would you think it would have been if you stepped in at maybe 17, 18? As in, do you think you would still have done the same kind of job and made the same kind of impression if you'd got that chance a bit younger? It's hard to, to think back and think, like, what, what was I like as a, a 17 or 18-year-old player compared to a 21-year-old player? Probably 21, I was more physically capable to deal with the demands of the game. Um, I was, as you're well aware, I'm not the tallest player in the world. I was about nine and a half stone soaking wet when I was about 17. By the time I got to about 21, I was probably about ten and a half stone soaking wet. So, you know, it, it probably gave me that time I needed to try and build my body up to come up, cope with the demands. Because I wasn't big, obviously. I wasn't super fast. I, I was okay over five, ten yards. I felt as if I had reasonable kind of game intelligence in regards to my positioning and you know my decision making and stuff. Um, but probably more the kind of physical aspects. It, it probably helped that I didn't make my debut until I was slightly older. So I don't know if I would have had the same impact that maybe if I'd been seventeen or eighteen. Um, I would have probably been thrown off the ball far more. I would perhaps I would. Um, you know, wouldn't have the fitness levels to cope with it for as long, you know, and these types of things. Um, so I maybe just needed that time to get up to those levels. Alex Burke and David Bagan, they got into the team that a bit earlier. As a younger player, when you see other players making their debut, 
do you reflect on yourself? Do you think, when's it going to be me? Or do you think, oh, good luck to them. I'm happy for them. I can remember being at the club when Alex Totten was the manager. Lovely man. We were Burke, myself, Beggy, the other guys were regulars playing in the reserves games. I could see that Burke and Beggy were a step above those reserve games as well. Particularly Burke. Burke was, for me, was probably one of the best players I've ever played with. It's such a special talent. I could see as a 17, 18-year-old that they should be in the first team. Mm. I could see it. Um, Bobby Robinson was taking the reserve team, obviously, when he said to us, but I can absolutely certainly he could see it. Probably Alex Thornton was probably too loyal to maybe some of the players that didn't deserve his loyalty um, and hadn't really done it for him um, in regular occasions. And I think if he'd have, he himself had brought Burke and Beggy into the team in an earlier stage, then it, it potentially could have saved his job. But he didn't. That's history. Bobby came in and Bobby knew exactly what the boys were all about. And, you know, he knew what the team needed as well. And neither the, the players that were playing needed young energy, young legs, the cheekiness of those two as well off the pitch. Just they needed that at that time and probably bought them in as we know the rest the rest is history. Um, so I was really chuffed for the two of them because I, I knew they deserved it. There was a point there I'm thinking, oh, when's it going to be my turn? I hope I can do what they've done and get into the team and these different things. But I was really pleased for them at the same time. But yeah, it, again, it just made me think... I you know, always had that throughout my career about, right, I just need to work harder. I need to prove that I deserve to be there. Right? So once you break into the team, you know, the hardest thing is to stay in the team. Um, I need to prove that I deserve to stay in the team as well. So it's that sort of mental resilience and determination that I think you need to, to get that longevity in your career. It was, as I say, it was both. You bided your time. A loan deal about to happen. Circumstances dictated that you did get your chance. I wonder what your realistic hope would have been for, and I'm talking now, you've played very well in the game at Ibrooks, but your home debut, what would have been the realistic hope for that match? And as a left-back, I wouldn't have thought it would be to even to score one goal, never mind two. My expectations here of playing at Ibrox was, was obviously a great feeling to finally play a first-team game. And then thoughts from thereafter was just, right, what do I need to do to stay in the team? Um, and then played Aberdeen, kind of changed the shape a little bit. I played wing-back. For the game itself, it's, you're just thinking about what right, was my job. Looking back then, it would be, you know, Bobby would just say to you that, Make sure defensively you are, you know, doing your utmost to stop the crosses. Be Jimmy, maybe have details of the, the player that you're actually can up against. Aberdeen, can't remember if they played wing back that day, if they were just playing like a conventional back four with, you know, four midfielders. I can't really remember, but say, right, these are the things you're going to need to deal with. Um, make sure you get back in, you know, help your, your third centre back or. When we're on the attacking sense, then just Bobby was more of just go and play, you know, just get yourself forward, you know, get up the pitch, get crosses into the box, go and make runs beyond, keep your wins, taking a stretch, stretch them out there as well. So we perhaps get a wee bit, you know, control in the middle of the park if the wing backs can keep their wins. So that was the kind of information I was getting. Certainly didn't have expectations. It was. I was going to score two goals that day. Probably should have had a hat trick as well. Um, don't know if you remember, but the volley at the back post, mm. I'd already scored goals. Uh, two goals, so I probably should have scored that as well. Play well individually, and hopefully the team wins. And then I stay in the team for the next game. That was my expectations back then. 
you came through as a winger. You scored a lot of goals in youth football. Do you think you could maybe have scored a few more goals in the senior team? Um, I will. <laughs> I think it definitely could have, to be <laughs> fair. There's no doubt with that. When I started training with Kelly as a young boy at 13 years old, I was about everything. I was uh, played in the wing, I played in centre midfield, I played as a striker. One position I never played was, was left back. I didn't play left back until I was 17 years old. When Alan Robertson put me back there one game, I can't remember if it was the start or somebody had got injured, and Alan put me back there down at Bees. We played, I think, maybe in Hearts or something, I can't remember who it was, but he put me back to left back, and basically he kind of kept me there thereafter. So I had been a winger, I had been you know, like a midfielder, or a striker, etc. And to say I did score a lot of goals in youth football, but obviously youth football was different. At the back of the end, to, to what it, playing a, you know, playing against the best, essentially. I definitely could have scored some more goals at Kelly at first team level, but at the same breath, I played the majority of my career at left back for Kelly. Obviously, I don't have a clue, and I don't know the stats around how many assists I would have got. Mm. I would like to think, from the position of left back, that I had a reasonable amount of assists throughout my career at the club in regards to, because it was definitely more of an attacking fullback than a defending fullback. So I felt as if that side of things in regards to, you know, making chances for my teammates, then I would probably have did quite well at that. But yeah, I don't doubt that. You know, I took a few nosebleeds in front of goals a few times, um, and I probably for a wee bit calm in front of goals, then I could have maybe have scored some more. So then, thinking about that first season, you've come in, you've done very well. The left back position changed hands quite a few times. You had been disappointed to drop out, but did you feel your chance would come again? Yeah, I was really disappointed. I think off the top of my head, I think I played something like the first four games. You know, as you know, the story behind me getting that opportunity is the fact that Dylan. Kerr was out in a long-term injury and Martin Baker Bobby had brought in had actually broke his thumb in the first you know, first week of training so that's how I got that opportunity so Bakesy was obviously back fit after a couple of weeks and I just remember I think played played obviously Rangers Aberdeen and then played I think played St Johnston in the Cup and I had a really good game up up at St Johnston that night and I think I won the man of the match for PCIS that night as well so I was flying mm. and then I played the next game I can't remember who it might have been against I would need to check the records to be honest but Motherwell kind of rings a bell but I might be wrong after that I remember Bobby Poole and I think we lost that game and Bobby Poole me and he just says listen he says you've done absolutely brilliant he says I'm really pleased with you he did say to me he said I thought I was going to have to release you um, after your trip in, the pre-season trip in Germany we had when I played, played a game against the German team and I had an absolute terrible game he says I thought I'd made the wrong decision and given you another contract he says but you've proved me wrong so he says you've been excellent he says but I'm just going to go with, with the more experienced player in Martin Baker so he says but you will get that opportunity again so just you know keep yourself ticking over etc so I was frustrated because it I felt I didn't deserve that at that point. I'd maybe had a wee dip in that game alone and maybe dropped my level of performance, but I felt that, you know, I still deserve to be playing. But again, that's the manager's choice. He has to make those decisions. And he gave me that opportunity and I kind of get back in now and again and played a few more games that season. But that was probably quite a frustrating season because I felt I had shown that I could play at that level. And... I wanted to play more games, obviously. 
was desperate to play more games but didn't get as much as opportunities I wanted to but I never let it, I never sulked um, again probably that maturity of being a bit older I never sulked what I did just say to myself was you know just go and work even harder you know go and work harder on the gym go and work harder on the training field so that I try and make Bobby's decisions as a manager as hard as possible I can Gary, I've seen in interviews, you remember where you've come from in, a, in the sense that you talk about the importance of the youth coaches that you worked with and the fact that you're local as well. I wonder how big a factor maybe stability had on that decision. It doesn't sound like you're itching for a move. As you said, you, you just got your head down and worked. And do you think that your, your kind of personality maybe, it was like, no, I'm going to focus on getting back in the team? Yeah, absolutely. That's... You know, he was generally growing up as a young kid, I probably had two or three huge dreams that you have. Um, one of those dreams was to be a professional footballer and play for Kelly, because that was the team that I supported. Another one of those dreams was to be a professional footballer and go and play for Liverpool as well, because that was the team I supported down south. You know, those were the kind of generally the main driving forces of um, what I wanted to do in my life. I wanted to be a professional footballer, particularly for Kelly, so to be given that opportunity and play those games and play for the club it was you know it was great um, and I generally was just I was loving it even through the tough times of playing a bad game losing a game being dropped you know all these different things I still never lost that love love of football and the love of playing playing for Kelly always kind of had that sort of self-determination to, to keep working keep working hard and kind of really believing that you know if you do work as hard as you possibly can and you know get yourself as fit as you possibly can and work in your weaknesses then you know you'll get more opportunities it was brilliant in the sense of i was part of a dressing room that had some really big characters you know you think of like those you know late 1990s early 2000s of like you know Durante and uh, Ali McCoist um, and then i kind of plethora of great professional players that had been at the club for a, for a few years as well. Guys like, you know, Gus McPherson, Kevin McGowan, Matt Riley, Ali Mitchell, all those, you know, there's more than that. There was so many. Dylan Kern, as I said, Dylan Kern, most of my time there was injured. Um, but he was brilliant. You know, when he did train, you know, he, he had always so much time for the young boys. And, you know, as a young pro coming through, you know, him giving you words of encouragement, particularly someone who played in the same position as you as well, telling you to keep working hard and go and do these things and, you know, do these different wee things that you go at watching guys like Mark Riley and Ali Mitchell, particularly on the way they conducted themselves in regards to how hard they trained on the pitch and how, how much work they did off the pitch as well. That, as a young player coming through, was just amazing to just soak that up and follow the lead, to be honest. And that's what I did as a young professional. You know, tried to make sure that I wasn't just one of those players that came and trained, did their hour and a half training and then went up the road. Tried to make sure I was in earlier, I was going doing some gym work before training and then after training I would go and do more gym stuff to try and build myself up and get stronger and get fitter. And that's what I kind of picked up with, with those guys and the kind of early... 2000s and then as you gradually get older yourself you start to become that type of player you know in your early 20s and stuff and we start to see younger boys coming through like, like Chris Boyd and Paul Jack and old Peter Canero all these young kids coming through and I was only you know a few years older than them but again it was important I had great role models and 
my young career. So again, it was something that I was felt it was important as well to you know, show good standards, good standards of training and and the way you can look after yourself as well. Is it strange to be asked about essentially workmates from 20 years ago? But do you sometimes think this idea that footballers are very accessible and fans expect you to remember every single detail that happened because it's the it's the football club? But but you don't, do you? No, you don't, to be honest. I mean, I teammates that I barely remember, to be honest, um, because obviously being at club for so long, some people come and go so mm. quickly. Others just leave like an lasting impression on you. Some of them I still speak to this day as well, which you know is always a good thing. And I think that's I might not speak to them on a daily or even weekly, but you know I know I could go and pick the phone up to maybe one of them and phone them up and just say how are you doing, do you want to go for a cup of tea or what a game of golf, and mm. you know, bye, sure, you know, and that's I suppose that's that's what kind of what you can get in football quite often. I suppose when you you want the question in that way, it is a wee bit strange, isn't it? Um, trying to remember people that. It's almost like trying to remember people that you went to school with. Some you remember, some you didn't have a clue that you actually went to school with them. Looking back in those days, there were some amazing characters. You know, as I say, I've, I've, I've not even kind of touched the surface. And the characters that we had in that dressing room, particularly in the early 2000s, and Bobby's sort of a couple of years before he left to go to Hibs, you know, thinking obviously about the Christ and Durant, but Andy McLaren as well, mm. and Jim Lachlan, and boys like that, the dressing room was an absolute riot, you know, and I mean that in a good sense, it was just hilarious, and it was a, it was a hard-working environment as well, um, which, you know, and again, I've kind of had that in old dressing rooms, and old dressing rooms that have been in at Kelly, they've always been, had that ethos of hard work, so it's, but hey, some, some good times. It's a risk maybe to focus on just one individual, but I think this quite often tends to happen with this person. I think Kilmarnock fans will remember Ali McCoy's time at the club as very clearly towards the end of his career, mm-hmm. but he seems to be a very infectious character. Would he be kind of a, a ringleader, if that's the right word to to use? Would he be kind of the, the centre point of, of a lot of the, the goings-on? Ah, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. Like himself and, and Durant and really were a double act. You know, just... Obviously, as I said, some of the names I mentioned there, like Mark Roberts as well, I forgot about Marco, you know, lunatic in the dressing room as well. And, but those, those two probably were the kind of main ringleaders, followed followed by many others, I've got to say. So it, it made for, I mean, obviously, as I say, I was a kind of young boy there, so I would just kind of sit there and kind of soak it all up and, you know, and just, just chuckle away without getting overly involved in the fear of getting slaughtered. Um, <laughs> So, no, it was really fun and it was really good. Those type of things really do help but make you bond better on the pitch as well, which is ultimately is the most important thing. It's, it's what those guys do on the pitch. It's okay having a fun dressing room, but if they're not getting the results that's required on the pitch, then, then there's no point. Gary, let's please talk about quite a famous match. I'll be honest, I was quite surprised when I asked you to, to think of some of the matches, some of the the most memorable matches that you didn't mention this one, I'm, and I'm talking about season 2000-2001 and a 3-0 win at Ibrox. And although you didn't mention this game, it's still a very popular one for the fans. Yeah. And I just remember, oh, I just I just wonder, what are your memories of that match? It's funny. Obviously, I remember the game and being part of it. And the weird thing is that I can remember still even at the final whistle and we'd won the game, we'd won the game 3-0, obviously, and I was pleased 
but I wasn't ecstatic because personally I didn't think I had played that well in the game. So I was kind of annoyed a wee bit with myself. You know, I always used to be quite critical on my own performances. So I always used to look a bit right. You know, when I got the ball, did I keep it well enough? Did I make the right choices when I played passes and, and these types of things? Defensively, that game I felt I did okay, to be fair, because, you know, you've got to be part of a unit that defends well against Raiders at Ibrox to keep a clean sheet. So I felt that side of it was okay, but on the ball I felt as if it was pretty poor. And I was a wee bit annoyed about that. And the final whistle I'm thinking, God, that's a good result, 3-0. That's a great three points for us. That's no three points that anybody's expecting us to get, so I'm delighted with that. But also bloody a wee bit annoyed with my own performance level in the game. That's probably why when you ask me to think back in memorable games, that's probably why I didn't overly think about that. As I said, it was it was a great result, and I knew at the time it was you know it was probably going to have a lasting memory for many Kelly fans as well. I undoubtedly knew that because um, it you know it, it doesn't happen that often. But you know that's just personally it was it was a wee bit displeased with my own performance, so that's why I wasn't um, overly ecstatic. It does come across that you do reflect quite a lot on your own performances and and how the game. Not how the game should be played, but how the game is actually being played. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's definitely something I used to do. Sometimes it can be a positive. Other times it can actually be a negative, focusing a wee bit too much on the things that you didn't do well enough. Just before we move on from the Ibrooks match, and I'm not asking you to, to reflect on something that I'm sure you will not remember, but in general, you often hear players saying that they knew the team was up for the match in a warm-up. I'd love to get your take on at what stage, when you've had a big result, do you know it's going to happen? Or is it just a myth that that's the case? For me, that's a myth. See the stuff about all the new in the warm-up. You know, unless you've looked over and you've seen Rangers players crying in the warm-up, <laughs> you know, and shaking like leaves, then, then, then maybe then you'd be thinking, oh, by the way, we've got them here. I don't think that obviously never happens. We prepared for that game the same way we prepared for every game. Um, there was no difference in you know how Bobby prepared the team. Perhaps we focused a wee bit more on our sort of defensive shape. But again, Bobby was more in an attacking sense. He was more guys when Durante gets the ball, or you know Andy playing up top there. Just you know when you get the ball, just play with a bit of freedom, create your own movements. Um, you know, he might say to full-backs in those types of games, just play from behind the ball unless you're sure that, you know, Andy has got good possession of all these types of things. But, you know, we've played for the game the same way we always had. So there was nothing nothing different in that sense. In the actual game itself, I knew we'd won the game when we went 3-0 up. I think, mm. I think the third goal was uh, Arthur Newman's own goal, if yeah. I remember correctly. And probably then is when I thought, you know, I was kind of laughing to myself, saying, oh my God, we've won this, because at that point, the third goal was in, that's a real killer, because 2-0 can be you know, precarious sometimes, as well know, 2-0 can be the other team just saying, oh, right, that's a gung-ho, let's just go for it, and unless you get that wee third goal just to kill that last wee bit of hope they've got, then they're always in the game, so when that third goal went in, that felt to me as if, Right, that's that's the game in the bag. You could see a sort of a kind of deflation on the Rangers players there. They were actually going through there'd be a crisis in their terms in regards to I think they had lost maybe a league game and then I think they'd lost in Monaco in the Champions League during the week and then they played us. So when that third goal went in, 
and then working a back out. I think I remember, I think Ronald De Boer was playing that game, I'm sure he was nearby to me, and the third goal went in, and i just seen his face, um, and that third goal went in, and it was just a face of sheer deflation, and uh, as if to say to yourself, Jesus God, can this get any worse? That, that was the kind of face he had, you know, one of those ones. So at that point, you thought, aye, that's, that's the three points coming our way. Um, and it's just about managing the game and seeing the game out from there. That would, for me, would be the time we knew that that game was won. But I've never played a game where I thought, aye, this game's in the bag in the warm-up. Never. Before we move on, it must be quite a surreal feeling when you're playing at a venue like Ibrox or Celtic Park. You're 3-0 up and the place, well, the place is emptying. That must be quite a strange feeling. Or do you or do you notice that happening? You probably notice it in small lulls in the game. You know, the ball goes out for a shine. It takes a wee bit while to come back in, and you see you know, people marching out of the stadium, and maybe their fans are singing "Cheerio, Cheerio" and all that type of stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, you do notice those types of things sometimes, and it probably is a, a winning team at that point that gives you a nice feeling. For a losing team, that probably um, probably gives you the feeling of. Thanks for the support, you know, how you but but that's you know, fans pay their money to come and watch and want their team to win. So sometimes it's I can understand the frustration when, you know, they get fed up and certainly for for Rangers and Celtic their fans are, are spoiled rotten in regards to how many games they win and mm. the things that they win. So, you know, as a as a winning team it's a nice feeling when you see that when you see the fans marching out of the stadium and sort of chucking their scarves onto the, the gravel and that sort of stuff. Kinda of makes you chuckle inside. Gary, thinking about your career more generally in terms of cup finals, you've played in three cup finals, which takes some some doing. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, what significance does a cup final have if you lose compared to when you win? And I'll explain what I mean by that question in that I spoke to Mark Riley and I asked him, do you get any satisfaction out of playing in a cup final if you lose? And he just said, no, no satisfaction. We lost the game. Forget it. What's your take on the significance of getting there but not winning the trophy. When you look back at it on a personal level, and you've played in three cup finals for Kelly, or, you know, a provincial club who don't get to cup finals every year, that's something that I, I can't lie, I do feel slightly proud, proud of. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know if there's many players in the history of Kelly that have managed to do that. Um, so that's something that I do feel proud of. But on the flip side of that, I totally agree with Mark. If you ask me where my medals, Losers' medals are, and even where my tops are for mm. those two cup finals, I have no idea. I think they're up in the loft somewhere in the bag. I don't know what I've done them, to be honest. Because yes, it's wonderful to get there, and it's it was a wonderful to play in those. Well, not because you you know when you think about it, it's wonderful to play in a final at, at Hamden National Stadium. But when you lose, it's just it's just something you just want to forget about, and not going to dwell on not going to dwell on, you just want to move on um, and forget about it because, you know, play football as a young kid because you love the game and I wanted to win things. Everybody enjoys winning. Everybody enjoys scoring a goal and your team winning. Everybody enjoys winning a cup final. You know, all these different things. So, as a young person, yes, football became a job to me because it became the, became the thing that, you know, put a roof over my head. But ultimately, I only ever played football because I loved it and I wanted to win things. So when you don't, then you just want to forget about it, to be honest. Playing at Hamden must have been quite special. It was. It was. I mean, obviously, I was at the Ibrox Fightball as well. And Ibrox is a stadium. is tighter and 
were condensed and what Hamden is. So you know, it, it must well it was. It was an unbelievable atmosphere in 1997. Hamden is filled with history. Um, you think of the games over the last hundred odd years that have played at Hamden and the players that have graced that pitch. So to be able to do that in a cup, national cup final was was an honour. And it was it was lovely. So that that's obviously really nice that we got to play all those finals at Hamden. But you know, if you ask me, would you want to play three finals at Hamden and lose two, or would you want to play in the '97 Cup final and score the winner? I wouldn't care if it was at Blair Park in Hurlford. You know, is I would have rather be in Bunyan's place. That's for sure. Um, in regards to that, but scoring that winner and you know being the hero, um, I think you know that was that was momentous. To be fair. In a career of almost 400 games for Kilmarnock, Garrahay played under some iconic managers. We discussed a few of them, starting with Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown, and we, we talked a little bit beforehand about them being kind of tough taskmasters, look, looking after their players, but being quite tough at times. The impression I would have looking from the outside in is bad cop, bad cop. Which of the two of them would ever modify to be the good, good cop in that relationship? Being horrible to play against, but 
when we do have the ball, he wanted players in the team who could create things, and that's like when he tried to obviously identify signings that he wanted, players that he wanted to bring in. That was the, the type of players that he wanted. He managed to get like sort of like we made it out what a player, what a player we made it was absolutely unbelievable, the most skillful player I've ever played with. You know, and players like that was players that Jim liked to have in the team alongside boys that could do the dirty stuff really well, but also could play a wee bit. Even guys like, you know, I know Stevie Fulton was ex-Hearts and all these things, but Stevie Fulton was a fantastic football player. Gary Locke brought in as well. Locke had these knee issues and stuff, but for a couple of years or so, he got a good version of Gary Locke because he's, he was fit and he was able. Um, it was probably more laterally that his knees just really started to give him a bit of bother, but as a character within the dressing room, he was an important character for the group of players in there. He was a good captain. It was a good dressing room. Over the years, he brought in other guys. Like, you know, he brought Alan Cole up, back to the, up to the club and, you know, guys like Danny Invincible as well. And Danny Invincible was one of the guys that probably, obviously, I know a few of my pals are girly fans and sometimes he could be a frustrating figure for them. But mm-hmm. actually, Danny's stats, for, I, mean, I thought he scored a great amount of goals mm-hmm. for in the positions he played. And, you know, he was, a, again, a brilliant boy in the dressing room who, you know, worked hard at training and, had a real team ethic um, and that's probably was, was Jim and Billy's strong point was getting players with that team ethic trying to sprinkle that maybe with a wee bit of brilliance like you know let's say Meditao Davis Fernandez um, Eric Scorer you know in his first spell you know guys like that you know and they're the kind of guys that do get players uh, to get the fans off their seats there's no doubt about that my strengths I feel we are, we are going forward so I love playing with Lisa you know, Mehdi, even Stevie Murray in his early days, Wienese, where I could give them the ball with players around them, one player, two players, and they would find a way to create space, get a bit of space to get away from them, and I could make overlapping runs and they could feed it to me or they could feed the strikers or they could go on and particularly Nese go on, have a shot and score for 25 yards. When you heard that Mixupat Linen was going to be the new manager, what was your thinking? How much did you remember of his time at Hibs or did you know what to expect? No, I honestly didn't. I remember Mixu as a player, big massive unit. I might have possibly played against him, that's how old I was yeah. starting to be. And I hadn't really paid much attention to what had happened at Hibs probably until he then, it was then announced that he was coming to the club. And I remember kind of just kind of reading something about, you know, he came in after John Collins, I think, to Hibs. And John Collins was, he was like proper, he was wanting the goalkeeper to be taking centre forwards on and yep. passing the centre backs and stuff. He was properly wanting Hibs to be playing from the back. Um, and I think Mick Sood just kind of wanted to adapt that light slightly. He wanted it still to play out, but not as crazy as your goalkeeper trying to do the step overs against their centre forward and things like that. He get misconstrued, I think, because what he spoke about is if we can get the ball forward early into our striker's feet and things, then that's what I want us to do. Um, so I think he get perhaps misconstrued and trying to play more direct, punted football type stuff. Mm. That's what I dread just before he came and then actually enough in his first couple of days and at the team and at the club, we had a few meetings and he says, right guys, this is my philosophy and we sat in a room. And he showed some kind of diagrams and videos and just spoke about how he seen the game. And he, he mentioned the fact that he'd been accused by, you know, press or whoever, that 
you know, he was going to play a more punt style and he says, absolutely not. He says, I want us to play out for the back. I want us to play out our centre-backs to split. I want the full-backs to be getting forward. He says, I want midfielders probably play a sort of 4-3-3 type formation because I want the midfielders to be making angles to receive it off them. But if it opens up and my centre-back can play a pass right up into my striker's feet, then that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Is because you know there's space to do that then we can get support etc so he painted the picture quite early on for us at Kelly that how he's seen the game being played and then what he did is he it's the best word to describe us force fed us exactly how we were going to do that in training so every day was based around this style of play when we had the ball and off the ball as well which we started with on the ball stuff and then we built into how he wanted to do it off the ball and it was you know positional passing exercises across the full pitch so it was things like that it was like goalie out to centre back out to full back and a combination of midfielders and then played through a slide through ball for a wide player to cross it for a strike and it was things like that we used to do every day in training alongside lots of 11 v 11 games we are kind of shaping was involved and he would talk about the particulars around what he was looking for from his fullbacks, what he was looking for from the midfielders that were playing, what he was looking for from, uh, you know, from his wide players and his striker as well. And he was very, very specific around how that was going to work for us. It was brilliant, to be fair. It was, it was eye-opening in regards to how he shared it, how um, simple he made it look. It took us a wee bit of time to get the results on the pitch and I think you know, the reference what I spoke about earlier fans will be happy if you're playing great football but losing for too long and I felt as if the Kelly fans showed a good deal of patience with Mixu and the players at that point because I think they could see what the team were trying to do they could see that at times in the games it was it was creating some wonderful opportunities for us but we probably just couldn't get that end product at that point in time early on in the season it brought in Eremenko who probably actually then helped him change the formation because initially it was like when he played with three up top it was like one striker and it was two wide players he was looking for mm-hmm. but when he brought Eremenko in it allowed him to play what he called the Christmas tree which yeah. was your back four your three midfielders and then Medi and Eremenko two number tens quite narrow be a striker um, and that's what he kind of said wanted us to play and from that point on you know we, we played a cup game against Airdrie where I think Danny Invincible might have been the kind of preferred striker initially and then he brought Connor in and Connor played that game Connor scored I think he scored a couple of goals at least maybe even the hat-trick and then from that point on Connor was the main man up top and everything just sort of clicked everything clicked for Connor everything clicked for the whole team at that point in regards to you know how he wanted us to play on the ball and off the ball as well so it was it was amazing the funny thing was I couldn't really get in his team I was sat on the bench most of the time but some of the football that was getting played was it was a joy to watch at times watching it and I'm thinking oh I just want to be part of it and playing my part in it that was probably the kind of frustrating side of it for me but I can certainly appreciate the work that he'd, he'd managed to do in such a short space of time. Him and Kerry, I've got to add, we'll just mix it. He inherited, and I think he was happy to inherit, a number of players that were still there, like myself, Fow, Big Pascal, Craig Bryson, um, Liam Kelly, who was 
we kind of broke through as well. Jamie Hamill and boys like that, he was happy to inherit them. What it did do is it allowed him then to get maybe the type of players that he was looking for, probably some players with more technical ability, you know, if I'm being honest. But what he did do was he turned, you know, Jamie Hamill was a brilliant fullback. He turned uh, Liam Kelly, so he likes a wee Bryson. Bryson was a brilliant player. Bryson could do anything. He could be the sitting midfielder if he needed him to be, or he could be the one that's charging forward. He was just a brilliant all-round midfielder. He really helped those boys. He helped big Connor Salmon immensely. Connor had been at the club for a good couple of years. He'd shown so much potential because he did all attributes. He had pace and power. But probably as a footballing brain, the types of runs he was making, the timing of his runs, all these different wee intricate things, he probably wasn't quite there yet. And when Mix would come in, he took him, you know, for some shooting exercises. He would take some of the strikers away and do certain shooting exercises, certain types of movements, etc. And then, you know, he got, he gave him his chance against Airdrie. And to be fair, the big corner, he took it. He was really good at making players who had already been there probably played in a certain way, more traditional way, and he made us understand the game in a better way and play this really fantastic football. And, really helped improve the likes of Manuel and, and Fowd and myself. As I say, even though I didn't play so much, I still felt as if under Mixoud and Kenny at that time, I felt as if, God, I've actually really learned something and I feel a better player right now because of it. And that was just through his, his training methods, to be fair. If you weren't in the team, it could be a wee bit frustrating in regards to you sometimes felt as if you hadn't trained enough because everything was really positional based and we did a lot of maybe 11 v 11 games but those games would get stopped and start you know, they'd start and stop because Mixer would come in and talk about this player being here or when the other team win possession of the ball this is what he wanted us to do so he would, he would stop and start quite often um, we'd do sort of possession based exercises as well Sometimes you felt as if if you weren't in the team and playing, you didn't train enough. So that was probably my only critique of it. Um, but if you were playing, and sometimes you knew if the game was Saturday, you knew if the Tuesday what the team was, and you just felt so prepared on the Saturday for exactly you know how the game was going to pan out. He was good at measuring the opponents as well. He says this is what they'll do. He says you know the centre backs will get the ball, they'll pass it across the back two or three times, and what they'll be looking for is a channel pass for a striker. So this is how we defend against that. And he used to allow Mehdi and Eremenko to to almost cheat, you know. So in case they would be playing that sort of narrow ten position, and if Mehdi was in the left hand side, for instance, and the right full back for that team stepped forward over the halfway line, he would just tell Mehdi to stay up. And what he would say to the, one of the three midfielders is. The left-hand midfielder needs to get right across, the central one needs to come right across, and the third one needs to tuck in, and then the number 10 on the other side, if you just deepen the light slightly. And what we'll do is, see when we win it, you'll then have Meditow in front of you, you'll have Eremenko over the other side in front of you, and you also have Connor Salmon directly ahead of you. Play that early pass into one of them, they'll hold it up, or they'll turn and go, and then we can go and support. So it was, it was really prescriptive and and how he taught the game to us. It was amazing, to be fair. This involvement that he had would have significance in the 2012 League Cup win in terms of that game against Airdrie, changing things about a little bit for you. you know, obviously, he came in and he brought, um, he also brought a number of players in in trial. He played a couple of 
pre-season games or whatever and played kind of left-back most of the time in those games. He then brought young Ben Gordon on loan for Chelsea and I could see I could see the way that he wanted the game to be played during his training that what he was really looking for was rapid fullbacks. And I'm thinking, that's probably not going to be it. It's going to take me about three or four seconds longer and it's going to take Ben Gordon to get up to the position that he's wanting him to be in. Sometimes, you know, when they're sort of counter-attacking. Um, so at, at that point, I knew that it was going to be tough to be playing fullback. But what he did do, Max would be not going to good man manager in that sense he would speak to the senior players quite often I was obviously a senior player at that point and I had two or three conversations one to one conversations with him about his thoughts around the game and his thoughts on me um, and probably one of the earliest conversations he, what he said to me he says listen you've been brilliant for this club you're a great player he says I love you about the place as well you're, you train properly you're a good professional and it's um, good for the for the young players to to be in that environment he says I really think you can actually play in midfield the first game of the season I think we were at Ibrox again funnily enough and before the game pulled me in he says listen you're either going to start in midfield he was waiting on international clearance for Momo Sissoko he says if Momo Sissoko doesn't get international clearance he says you're going to play in midfield and I'll put Pascal back to centre back he says it was the day before he told me that he says, but if his international clearance comes through, he says, Momo's going to play there, Pascal's going to get into midfield alongside Liam Kelly, and I think it was Bryce, he says, because going to Ibrox, big pitch, so he's really need the energy for the boys in there. He says, but that's where I see you playing for me. He says, I see you playing in the midfield. He says, and you will get your opportunity to do that. He says, yes, at times I think you might need to play full-back as well. He says, we'll be Ben on loan, he's a young boy. You know, he could have dips, etc. He says, but that, that's where I can see you playing. And I was like, well, he says, um, to be honest, I don't mind where I play. He says, as long as I get a chance to play. The games that I played pre-season, I played a couple of left-back and I'd also played a couple in midfield as well and I'd loved it. I'd really enjoyed it in the midfield because in the middle of the part you just feel more part of the game more often and it you know, took me back to when I was a young player coming through at 15, 16, you know, that sort of age and kind of that was one of the main positions that I'd played. It kind of re- really reinvigorated me, to be fair. It made, you know, kind of, I never felt like I loved with the game but I'm thinking about 2012, a season that very special for Kilmarnock fans, very special for you. Kenny Shields stepping up from assistant to manager. Did he change his own personal style to fill that new role, or was it very much the same as? No, Kenny was just Kenny, to be fair. I think he probably just had more responsibility obviously um, when Mixu and Kenny were together Mixu would take you know a, quite a chunk of the training and he would, Kenny would do a bit as well um, and then that probably obviously just flipped for Kenny and he then became the manager and he brought Jimmy Nicol in his assistant Kenny tended to take the majority of the training then as well Kenny being Kenny you know he probably took on too much at times tried to do too much at times because um, he was just he was just such an open guy in regards to, like, you know, he was so interested in the youth setup as well. And, you know, I was coaching under 14 at that point, and he would come to uh, under 14 games on a Sunday. You right. know, just 
kids and speak to them came to training some nights the youth team training at some nights and took some sessions as well and as a young player that's just amazing the first team manager showed such an interest in you he knows your names and all these other things so I uh, probably took too much on at times um, but that's just Kenny you know, he, he was just a workaholic and he, you know, he gave everything in that sense but it was probably just more the responsibility of training that he, that he kind of took on again he wanted to play the game the same way that Mick Sue did and tried to you hear all these nice stories about you know Kenny turning up at people's houses if it's a birthday or something like that. Do you think he cared too much? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. To be honest, um, and that's that's not a stain in his character to be that type of person. Um, no, you know, it, make, it makes him a wonderful person mm-hmm. to be fair. But for him to be the, the manager of Kelly, and that's not to say, I mean, he gave his absolute all to the club. He gave his all to the first team and you know everything like that, but he probably just spread himself a wee bit too thin at times, and probably should have just you know focused a wee bit more on himself, on you know the job at hand, so to speak. Um, but you know, but that was just Kenny. That's the type of guy he was. He was so helpful and so kind. It genuinely cared about the club and cared about the the development of the young boys. Um, again, conversations with him. I remember, you can remember him bringing up. Um, we Greg Kilty, Robbie Muirhead, boy, young boy Adam Hodge at the time, young centre-back who was really promising as well. Brought them up to train with at first-team level and he then gave them all, he gave certainly Robbie an opportunity before the end of the season. I think Kilty as well, you know, when Kilty's maybe 16 or 17 and I remember having a conversation with him. He says, I, he says, I know they're not ready. He says, but he says, what I'm doing is I'm building. I'm trying to get a team behind the team. So we'll get boys, who are, you know, first team players like yourself and Fowl and other guys. He says, but what we're trying to do is get a team underneath that that can just we can just bring these boys straight in and you know they can play the way we want them to play. And, um, and he says, what you need to do to do that is give them opportunity when they're maybe not fully ready, kind of thing. So I was kind of like, well, fair play to you because you know it might cost you your job <laughs> doing that type of stuff, you know. So no, he was he was brilliant for that. When I asked you to, to think about some of the games that mean the most to you, you chose in that season, not long before the League Cup final, a 1-0 victory at Ibrooks. Why have you singled out that game specifically? That was the week that Rangers had been declared about going into administration or had went into administration. Hmm. So that was their first game after that announcement. And obviously the full story was about that and you know the effects that it would have on Rangers and also Scottish football and all these other things. And I just thought that we went that day and we were just excellent. I thought we were excellent to start to finish and it wasn't a sit-back, soak-up performance where, you know, we counter-attack and we score a goal and we nip up the road with three points when Rangers have had 70% possession or something. It was kind of, we went toe-to-toe with them. We played some great football. We created quite a few opportunities, I felt, as well. And I felt as if it, is, it was as comfortable a win as I've ever had at Ibrox um, before. It was just as comfortable a performance as we'd ever had against Rangers. I thought football we played that day was brilliant. And, you know, we only won the game 1-0, but I thought we fully deserved it. I just felt as if it was a really complete performance from us. It would have been wonderful whether you'd been a Kilmarnock supporter or not, but I'm trying to imagine for fans listening, to be a fan and to lift a trophy, this is a trite question, but what does it mean? 
What does it mean to you personally? It generally meant everything. Um, again, being at the club since 95, 96 or so, and we lifted the trophy in 97 when, when Bunyan scored that, and you know, that, that goal, and even just being at the club at that point, it was amazing. The first team boys were amazing that day and that night in regards to keeping everybody involved and a brilliant celebration that night and to be part of it. I, I still remember just sitting there thinking, I just want to be part of that. I want to do something like that where it's, you know, and you've played your part in it. Because obviously I never played any part in that at all. So I just wanted to be able to get finished my career at Kelly. I was obviously getting older as well, so I was determined that I just wanted to win something for the club, both on a, a personal level and obviously for the club, but, you know, a personal level it was just it was a lifelong dream to play football as a professional football for Kelly. And I think, you know, winning a trophy or winning trophies is a, a great marker for that as well, because it does leave a, it does leave a, a mark in the history of the club. And mm. um, it now always be there and we will always be the first commander team to win the league cup for the wonderful club that we, we played for so that's something that i'm immensely proud of and it's probably it's just pride really pride and joy because i know the amount of times i've had people message you on social media or say to you when they've seen you that that's that's been the best day of their life and that's that's pretty powerful to be fair it is it's the best day of my life is my children have been born then on top of that, being inducted into the Hall of Fame, there's maybe almost an argument the Hall of Fame, it's, a, it's about family, it's about contribution to the club in a, in a wider sense. To have your name in that lasting way alongside some of the other greats of the club, again, that's a real mark of distinction for, for your career. You know, really honoured and humbled to, to be part of the Hall of Fame because some of the guys that are, that are in there, you know, like Davy Sneddon, who... You know, unfortunately we lost recently. David was a true, true legend of the club. A league winner and worked for the club in various capacities. And when I think of Kilmarnock, I think of Davies then. Mm-hmm. Um, so being a Hall of Fame alongside somebody like him and all the other guys who won, won the league bang those days. And, you know, Alan Robertson, the most performance, yeah, most appearances. And Ray Montgomery, guys like that. It's just, I, it was just really humbling and you know, a real honour for myself and my family, of course. And it's something, again, that, you know, it's, it's a nice wee legacy that, you know, obviously I've got children and I hope that I'll be well, health and happiness, that they'll have their own children and grandchildren, etc. And they'll get to see that their, their grandpa's, grandpa's name is sitting, you know, on a wall outside the stadium there. Um, and, you know, you're, you're part of the fabric of the, of the club because of that. Um, so that's, that's a, a nice feeling knowing 
huge thanks to Gary Hay for looking back at his career on this, the 10th anniversary of the 2020-12 Scottish League Cup success. Kelly Histories is a not-for-profit project made for the Kilmarnock FC Former Players Association. For more info, visit www.kellyhistories.com. There you will find a wide range of podcasts and articles featuring a great many Kilmarnock stars. You can also find the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Kelly Histories. If you like the series, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast app and spread the word. The guest list for season 2022-23 is coming along nicely. Thank you to the podcast sponsors, The Killy Trust, for covering all production costs. To find out more about The Trust and its partnership with Kilmarnock Football Club, visit www.thekillytrust.com. The theme music Clear Progress by scottholmesmusic.com is used under free Creative Commons license. This interview was recorded in 2021 by telephone. I'm Gordon Gillen. See you next time. When do you feel that you played your best football? Really hard to say, to be fair. Um, I think there was probably a time under Jim and Billy when I played left-back position. I think arguably around the time that I did get into that Scotland B squad, albeit the game was at Rugby Park, so it was probably a bit of a ringer for that. But I think the you know, performance levels at that point were probably pretty good and pretty um, of a good standard. So that was probably potentially a kind of good part of my career. And probably even latterly, you know, under sort of Kenny, when I moved into that midfield position and kind of really enjoyed playing that there, but I felt as if my performances when I played in the midfield were of a good level as well.